This episode of the Blasty Cast is presented by CF Dead. Celebrating this great city's history in style, on game days, take 5% off orders using the promo code Blasty. Get your hands on cannons, rads, 88s, and plenty more gear from the guys at cfdead.ca. Check out their show, Tales from the Sea, and rep this city. Hello everybody, welcome to episode number 19 of the Blasticast, a very special edition of the Blasticast with your host, myself Noah Adler, and live from Lethbridge, Mr. Nate Thomas. How's it going today, bud? It's going pretty well, how about you, buddy? This is an episode I have been absolutely waiting to do since I even first started the show with with Mike back in October. By the way, shout out to at Mike T. Gould on Twitter. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start from do you want to start from shirts off for Kipper, Kami's hair, the red mile? Where do you want to start oh here? Oh my goodness. I <laughs> I think the most ridiculous thing is Kami's hair. That was a uh, that was quite the look. Like <laughs> if I could pull that off, I'd do it every day, but it was such a it was such a unique look back then, but I figured um, I figured we'd start from from the beginning, and you know we sort of discussed the long road it really took to get to to 2004. It took to get to spring of 04. The Flames had just lost Game Four of the 1996 Western Conference Quarterfinals to the Chicago Blackhawks in overtime, and that had started then a run of when the Flames. Missed the playoffs for eight years. Just what? What have you like? I want to ask you about this, but have you heard? What do you know about from that sort of from that time? Because as bad of a time as that was, because saved the Flames and and everything else. Like, what stories have you sort of heard from people's perspectives who lived, you know, that era of Flames hockey? Yeah, the uh, Save the Flames thing uh, for sure was always kind of the big topic or that. But it's also the, I mean, obviously the name of this show is the Blasty cast. You had Blasty introduced at, uh, during that time as well. And it kind of began to be related to those times. And um, But the big thing that I can recall from it was, you know, that was the start of Iginla being a Calgary Flame because I'm pretty sure it was that series against Chicago that uh, Iginla playing for the Kamloops Blazers of the WHL their playoffs were finished and he got called up right away so that was really the start of the Iginla era Um, so unfortunately you know not a great start but it's the same thing that we're seeing even now in Edmonton with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle right they were losing for a while too before things finally started to pick up steam uh, you can look in Chicago as well with Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, uh, go to Pittsburgh with Crosby and Malkin, right? It's, you know, the big guy, like the the star player comes in and then the team starts to really find itself, it feels like. 
oh, excuse me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's what uh, that's what I kind of look back on. At least um, I was born kind of right at the start of that as well. I'm uh, early 1997, so I don't have recollections of that time exactly. But um, you know, my earliest recollection of Flames hockey is probably 2002-2003 season, and you know, like watching it. And I I watched it growing up with my family and everything like that. My cousins are all hockey players, and so hockey wasn't it was it was always around, right? But really starting to dive into it, I think, was probably around that time and especially this run that we're about to talk about. Um, it was kind of, it was a weird time for me at least because, like, you know, everyone finds their team eventually. And I was damn near close to being a Maple Leafs fan, actually. My, uh, my, my grandma's partner at the time was a huge Leafs fan. I had Maple Leafs pajamas and I watched Leafs games with him and that sort of thing, but... You had my stepdad on the other side as well, kind of pulling me like, no, 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 come on, Calgary, Calgary, and that sort of thing. So eventually became a Flames fan. But uh, yeah, that, that 04 run that we're about to talk about here is uh, what really what really put me on. So, and, 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 the, and the thing is, is that people forget that that team nearly left the city. Like yeah. people absolutely forget about that. Uh, I had talked to uh, a fan, uh, Kevin Kazin was his name. I had him on uh, a little bit yesterday just to talk about his experiences from that time. To the city, I think it was big because it was only a couple of years, as I remember, past the uh, Save the Flames or uh, season ticket run. And uh, the crowds were waning. It was a really tough time to be a fan uh, going to some games. I, I can vividly remember going to some games on a Tuesday night in the middle of February against Minnesota where, you know, it wouldn't resemble anything close to NHL hockey. And, and um, it, it was pretty tough, but, but uh, for some reason that, that team had the characters and, and uh, they just sort of captured the city's imagination. And, and um, you know, I mean, it was, it was amazing to see the, you know, Calgary jump on board, you know, so uh, it, it kind of made everything around us brighter, right? I mean, there was car flags everywhere. There were, there were flags hanging out windows. There were people wearing jerseys of, you know, that's kind of think that's, you know, we've always had the sea of red dating back to the eighties, but that was really when you can go to a game and 99% of the people be wearing a red Jersey. Uh, so, I mean, it was fantastic for the city. I think it, it saved the franchise uh, and uh, you know, who knows where the flames would be now if we didn't have that kind of run. So that was uh, Kevin Kazan, by the way, shout out to Kevin Kazan. I still appreciate him for coming on and, uh, and doing this uh, quick little segment yesterday. Um, I, I want to ask you quickly, as just before we dive into the series, into, um, into the Vancouver series, um, would you be a flames fan today? If, 04 doesn't happen because the thing is is that yeah like we we had our fans in the 80s we had our fans in the early 90s but you know even by the way we'll have a segment from conroy on this and not too far down from here but he had mentioned before that he had taken his daughter one time to school and there were no flames jerseys and then one point where he had taken the daughter to school during that during that hysteria there were flames jerseys like, do you think, do you think you'd be a Flames fan today if that run doesn't happen? 
I feel like I would be just because, like I said, I was around my stepdad and he was a kid who grew up between Medicine Hat and Calgary. Uh, so he was just kind of ingrained in that uh, sports scene, right? So for him, it was the Flames and the Rough Riders both being, or not the Rough Riders, sorry, the Stampeders, Jesus, uh, from both being from Calgary. And uh, I mean, even down to, I think the only area that I really kind of branched off in terms of uh, teams I follow uh, is maybe baseball a little bit. I'm a lot more of a Blue Jays fan than a Dodgers fan, but I still support the Dodgers because he was the guy who, you know, introduced me to uh, those sports really in that way. You know, like even like every like everybody in my family and like appreciates sports and that sort of thing. But uh, my stepdad is the most involved in it uh, for sure with watching and following and that sort of thing. So I think it was inevitable for me either way. But the 04 series just really drove it home because you got so captured in just kind of the feeling, I guess, of the uh, of the 04 run and the excitement and everything like that. And as a oh god that was 2004 so i was seven yeah seven years old as a seven-year-old impressionable kid right it just added even more to it so see yeah for me it's um it's funny because um 04 happens and then about two and a half years later i start really loving the flames i i think for me i don't think if if 04 doesn't happen i don't think in a way i'm the fan that i am now because because like I had just mentioned before, like you didn't have like what it is now before 2004, because like we had our fans, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like it is now. Like it's the sea of red and everybody in the city actually cares about the flames. They didn't care back then before 04. Like there were a lot of people who didn't really care back then because the team was bad and the team was super irrelevant. But that run, it it saved the franchise. It 100% saved the franchise from a lot of bad years were because the fears after Winnipeg and Quebec had left originally the first time, who was going to be next? And they had season ticket sales to try and save the team. So, mm-hmm. so it's yeah, like, exactly. I don't think there's, a, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you never know. I mean, I've been a proud Calgarian for a long, long time, but at the same time, I, I do wonder how different it would have been for, for me looking back at it. If, if the flames really didn't have that run in 04 but but it's a lot of what ifs yeah, right for sure um i think the sorry just to elaborate a little bit more i think the big thing and maybe this started my whole journey with jerseys also if you know anything about me i mean noah you're seeing on my screen right now got the wall of jerseys behind me i have 50 plus in my collection now ranging from hockey to baseball to lacrosse and uh but i remember that year was the f- year that for my grandparents I got a Blasty Iginla jersey just with the iron on uh numbers they're just pure white I still have it it's hanging in the closet beside me here uh just you know had to keep that memento right um but also I th- believe it was that year as well my mom and I for my stepdad's birthday got him uh the white jersey like the away jersey um with Iginla on it and hand stitched and everything like that and he still has that jersey also, and uh, which means a lot to me as well. And I think that just kind of started the whole thing, right? Was you know, kind of you get invested both like just kind of feeling wise and financially, I guess, at the same time, and just like what you have and 
yeah, kind of with a weird way through jerseys, I think, is another big thing for me. So I, I kind of want to share the story quickly just before we discuss the Vancouver series. Um, so I think, of course, my mom knew I was doing this episode um, tonight. So she actually had a few stories from 04 that I had no idea about. So my it was always nice weather in our old neighborhood where I used to live in was Brideway. And... In our patio, my dad always used to, for every game during that run, he always take the TV outside to the patio. He'd plug it in and watch it outside because the weather was so beautiful at that point. And one of them as well, because everybody in our neighborhood was going just like bonkers, you know, in that and it was all hysteria around the neighborhood. Even and of course we all know in the city too. I mean, we'll get to some, you know, Red Mile and Seventeenth Off talk um, at some point here, but. It was just hysteria all over the place. And one, it's a little embarrassing thinking about it a little bit now, but um, I think I'm trying to remember what game it was. I mean, mom doesn't remember what game it was, but but there was a game where I, I, I went to take a bath, right? I mean, you know, like four-year-old kids love to take baths, right? And I ran downstairs. I had no clothes on. And then flame score, flame score goal, and then everybody in the neighborhood cheers, and then I start jumping up and down, cheering and stuff, and everybody was just laughing, just loving it. And then another story quickly. Um, it was I, like I'm trying to remember. I think there was a story my mom has said before um, in the past, where I think it was after her birthday, April twenty second, and that night, by the way. Um, the Flames, the Flames won Game One against Detroit. By the way, we'll get into that series as well. Um, she, they were, they drove past Seventeenth in the middle of the hysteria after dinner that night. After Marcus Nilsson scored the OT winner for the Flames that night, so uh, there's a few stories there that I mean, I, of course, I can't barely remember it right, but at the same time, it, it that's what led to to what it is now for me because like i don't know if i'd be a flames fan now if that doesn't happen because we all know how relevant they were but anyway we'll jump into the vancouver series so heading into that series the the canucks had lost bertuzzi to that little incident with steve moore so and and i know from some of the stories i've heard that daryl sutter was like, well, okay, you know, we, we, we want to play Vancouver. We know that's the best matchup for us. Doing some sort of research and studying from this series, like, what was your biggest takeaway from that series in particular? I mean, the first round always feels like the hardest one, right? Because that's when, I guess, in terms of the playoffs, you're the most fresh, ready to go. And so it's hard hockey to play. Um, I won't say that it's the I won't say it's the toughest or no sorry the the roughest series that the Flames had in these playoffs but it's it was definitely the toughest just because it's that first round right everyone's ready to go that was a good Vancouver team also and uh yeah that's kind of what those that's kind of the takeaways that I have it's it's always going to be the toughest one and um you know however this season plays out if Calgary happens to squeak past it going to be against toronto probably so yeah tough first round right so yeah i I just look back at that and i think the flames got lucky in that series without a doubt because you just look at 
the loss of Bertuzzi, like that was a like knowing more about it now, like that was a huge loss for Vancouver. Because remember, I think he was suspended the rest of the year, right? If I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, you want to talk about a little bit of luck as well. That's the only series, really, I guess, until the final game of the Stanley Cup Finals. That's the only series that Calgary actually trailed in the series as a whole. That's right. I completely so forgot against, about that. Against Detroit and San Jose, the closest the other team ever got to taking a lead was just tying it. So. That's right. That's right. I completely forgot about that. But that that's right because because the flame because let's see the flames lost game one in Vancouver. They lost game. They won game two. Sorry, they won game two. They lost game three, and um, and they won game four. They won game four of that series. Um, then game five they won. And then game six goes into triple overtime, the the Brendan Morrison goal. By the way, here's something people forget about that game. The Flames were down 3-0. No, 4-0, sorry. They were down 4-0 in that game. And the, they came back to score to score four straight to tie that game. And then Brendan Morrison wins it in triple overtime. And then game seven. Let's talk about that game seven for a second here. Jerome McGinley just was a beast in that series. He was an absolute beast. Just, do you think that could be one of Jerome's greatest games that he's ever played in his career? Hmm. I mean, it's definitely up there for sure. Um, But I feel like if you really want to, I guess, give an idea as to who Jerome McGinley was as a player, you take a look at these 0-4 playoffs for sure. Um, even with previous, you know, he had been making, you know, I think he had a 50 goal or two fifty goal seasons by this point as well. But this really, I think, encapsulated who uh, Jerome McGinley was as a player. He was someone who was very offensive. Uh, he's the uh, like prototypical at the time power forward, right? And yeah, just offensive. He'll go into the corners with you. He's not afraid to drop the gloves. He did a few times in these playoffs um so yeah yeah i i i would make the argument that was the that was the greatest game that was probably one of the top three top two games that jerome mcginla has ever played in his entire career and let's be honest yes he's he was my childhood hero so that's going to be some bias in that way but just look at the way he played and look at the goals he scored Scored on the on the uh, shorthanded goal on actually no the power play had just ended and he took got that pass from Connie and he shot it past past mm-hmm. Alex Ald. Yeah, Alex Ald and Dan Cluche for the Vancouver Canucks. It's quite the goalie tandem. <laughs> they they went through a couple goalies that series as well. They went through Hedberg and then they went through Cluche and then Cluche got injured and in, I think game three he got injured. I think it was. I'm trying to remember what it was, but but I think what happened was he got injured early that game or something, and then Hedberg, I think, took that load the rest of the game. Then I remember he started game four as well. I'm just trying to remember. But anyway, I and then Jerome, the way he scored the, that power play goal to make it 2-1, um, and of course... That, that dummy Matt Cook uh, ends up uh, scoring two as well for Vancouver and ties the game late there on the 
on I would argue the whistle probably should have been blown when that fan threw the jersey on the ice and and uh, Jerome ended up missing the net. Like that that should have been clear fan interference at that it point. It should have been, but you know, this is two thousand four. We complain about refs now, but it was a completely different game at the time, right? So and rule book especially and just everything was it was uh almost lawless in a sense the refs were almost out there just for show and to pick up the puck out of the net after goals yeah yeah and then and then um and then this begins man had the puck behind the net he works into the blue line left side Ference over to the right point to Warner. He let the shot go, deflected wide. Off the glass in left corner to Aginla. Aginla to the left circle. Passing to Yell. A shot. Save made by Alvin Aginla. Three bounds. Another shot. A score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! Overtime 3-2. The Eliminator. And then the Eliminator eliminates the Vancouver Canucks in, in like the first minute and a half of that overtime. And that started a, a streak of where Jelly would end up scoring three serious clinching goals in that run, which would be four total for his career, including, by the way, the uh, one where he scored in Game 6 of the 0-2 Eastern Conference Finals against the Leafs as a Carolina Hurricane. So, so but yeah, that would start things off for Jelly. So the Vancouver series was was pretty great, but uh, we got to talk to Pat Steinberg um, on episode number 13, and he really shared sort of his memories from, from 04. For most of the moments, I remember exactly where I was for Game 7 against Vancouver. I know exactly where I was for Game 6 and 7 against Tampa. I remember exactly where I was for Steve Montador's overtime winner uh, against San Jose in Game 1 against the Sharks in the West Final. Um, so, so it was it was an absolute stunner the fact that they like we didn't even know what they were going to do against vancouver and the canucks were heavily favored in that series and um and so for them to knock off vancouver in seven I, that was gravy for most people i i was alive in 89 when they won the cup but i was like barely alive i was three and a half years old so i don't remember a whole lot from 89 um, but I do remember a lot from 04 and I do remember a lot, uh, between 89 and 04 They didn't want a playoff series. Like it was, it was 1990. They lost in seven against Edmonton. And then there's the Pavel Bure goal in game seven against Vancouver. And there's the sweep to Chicago. Uh, the last time they made it before that seven year run. Of, and then, you know, the original Blasky years when they were bad and, and, the 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 pedestal jerseys and you know the 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 young guns and all that type of stuff yeah so when they made the playoffs that was cool enough i remember i was lucky enough to get tickets for game four and um because i I went down to to the saddle dome and uh it was a little different then but you could line up to buy tickets at the saddle dome and so i went down there got tickets for game four that was the only game i got to go to and I just, I remember going to game four and I was at Brentwood station getting ready to hop on the, on the C train and the flames had lost game three. Remember yeah. so the series was two, one Vancouver. And I remember getting like w- uh, waiting there for the train and about three times trucks came steaming down Crowchild trail with like huge flames flags like not the car flags they hadn't really caught on yet but like 
huge flags in the back of the pickup trucks and they're honking at us because we were all wearing flames jerseys and they're they're honking at us and say, so so that was when i was like holy crap this is a big deal they're back in the playoffs so this city is and then for them to win a round i just remember when the puck dropped in game one against vancouver and there's robin regeer and and jordan leopold never played a playoff game before either of them and i'm like oh boy are these guys going to stand up to the pressure and and then all the, all of a sudden they go to to game seven of the cup final so it was it was so cool i got to go to the red mile i was of age so i was able to go to the the red mile and partake a little bit and just the excitement in this city and it was it was pretty neat it was uh it was a really really cool time and um yeah it was a, it was a neat way it was kind of a neat time to start working at the station certainly set the expectations a little higher so there, there was Pat from episode number thirteen, um, just talking to us about his, um, ex, um, you know, memories about that about that time. Um, so we'll move on to the Detroit series and 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 dive deep into that a little bit. So we talked to Craig Conroy um, about uh, back on episode number four. He we talked about why he he talked about why to him the Red Wing series meant a lot more being Detroit. The Vancouver series going all the way to game seven to overtime to win it. I think we got a break with Bertuzzi being, uh, you know, suspended for the playoffs. That helped us. Uh, that was definitely a hard series. But, you know, I think going into Detroit with, with I mean, I don't even know if they had five, six Hall of Famers on that team. Uh, they won the President's Trophy that year. They're the number one team in the NHL. And for me, Detroit knocked us out. We had great teams in St. Louis, and they knocked us out every year so you know going in they're my nemesis i hated detroit i wanted nothing more than to beat detroit and when we went in there and and we actually won that series and shake that was the best i've ever felt shaking a guy's hand because i've been on the other side of shaking the the eiserman and shanahan and hall and draper and and all those guys uh, so many times it drove me crazy but to be able to knock them off i really felt like once we got by them i thought we're going we're gonna to do this thing. Not that it was going to be easy because then we go against San Jose and then, you know, ultimately the best team in the, in the East that year was, was Tampa. So it wasn't going to be easy, but I thought when we beat, when we beat Detroit, that was, that was the ultimate for me. So there he is. He talks a lot about, um, you know, why being Detroit for him, you know, meant a lot more than any other series. Let's dive deep into the, into the series against Detroit. Going in, uh, of course, you know the Flames were going to be the underdog in this one. The Red Wings had won the President's Trophy for gosh knows the millionth time at that point, and uh, they had all those Hall of Famers. Like what? Like the same thing as the Vancouver series. Like, what was your impression from that series? Just you know, talking to people and you know, really looking back. For myself, the thing that I noticed, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, this was the roughest series out of all four, I thought. Every hit was, you know, not merciful by any means. Uh, The amount of fights and scrums after, uh, or during play, after play, didn't matter, right? Like, Calgary and Detroit looked like they were about ready to kill each other. If somebody had a shank in their hockey pants, guarantee is going to get pulled out at some point. Um... And yeah, so that's kind of the the main thing that I got from it. But yeah, you talk about, you know, how great thing. I mean, Connie talked about it there, how great that Detroit team was in the Hall of Famers. 
I'm I have the roster in front of me here. Pavel Datsuk, Brett Hull, Brendan Shanahan, Steve Eiserman, Henrik Zetterberg, Chris Draper, Nicholas Lindstrom. No, no big deal. Chris Chelios, uh, Darren McCarty, uh, a young Yuri Hoodler at the time. I mean, not a Hall of Famer, but and but then you go to the goaltending. Curtis Joseph, uh, Dominic Hasek was earlier in that season. He wasn't in that series, but he was part of that team. And Manny Legacy. Like, that's just naming off a few of the guys off of that roster. Like, that's not even the whole thing. So it's... I mean, it's a miracle, honestly, I think, that we even beat them. Uh, considering, you know, just the you compare on paper those two teams, you're taking Detroit every day, right? But Mika stopped, like, what, a thousand shots in that series or yeah, something? Something oh, ridiculous. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's quickly talk about that fight, shall we? The, the Which one? Jer- <laughs> <laughs> Jer- Jerome being the crap out of Darren Hatcher. Like, we'll talk quickly about that one. You want to set a tone as a captain. That's how you do it, right? So, because, I mean, not to say that you don't see captains fighting today, but, you know, there's kind of a designated guy almost for fighting in terms of uh, today's Calgary Flames. Yeah, Matthew Kachak is an assistant and uh, Milan Lucic for sure. But, I mean, I understand he's getting older, but how many times in recent memory can you think of Mark Giordano dropping it, right? It's normally other guys, but in terms of Calgary at the time and even just other teams at the time, yeah, your captain's going to do it, right? So, I mean, like going ahead a little bit here to the ta- or to the uh, finals against Tampa Bay, both captains dropping the gloves against each other, right? So, like I said, it was a little bit of a different time, but um, yeah, like, like I was starting it off with, if you as a captain you want to set a tone and you know this is how our team is going to play and you better be ready to uh, bring your best against us because otherwise we'll knock you out so here's the thing i've heard red you know say this story very often on the station over the years so there was the one story where the very infamous story where i think i don't know if it was before game one against detroit but daryl i think had had walked into the locker room and he had shown the guys the paper, and he had said, "Well, what, what, what do you know? I, I, I don't think we should be here. I, I think Detroit has beaten us, and <laughs> I, I don't know, guys. I think, I, I, why are we even here for if Detroit's already beaten us?" And then he just, then he ended up ripping the paper and just threw it. It's like, let's just show these guys who we are and stuff like that. And then, then there's the other one where I think there's the other infamous story. I think I'm trying to remember if it was after game two. And I think he had then brought in another newspaper. I mean, again, if if you're here in this red, you can you can come and correct me about it all you want. But but at the same time, so he had I think he had then brought in another paper and stuff. And he then had as a joke, probably or something like that, had asked, hey, does anybody in this locker room want an autographed Red Wing jersey? Does anyone <laughs> want one? And then Red was like. Well, if we're getting autographed jersey, you might as well get me an autographed Lidstrom jersey while we'll at it. And then Daryl just <laughs> ended up throwing the paper at him. And <laughs> well, I mean, if Daryl, like if Sutter wants to come in and be a smartass, I, 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 I probably <laughs> threw the smartass remark back at him. <laughs> you know, exactly, right? <laughs> but ask a stupid question, get a stupid exactly, answer. Exactly, <laughs> right? Oh, that was Daryl. That was Daryl for you, man. Um. But yeah, I think a lot of my impressions of the series too were 
you know, Detroit, of course, is the heavy favorites here. They've got all the Hall of Famers, yada, yada, yada. So what? Big deal. Whatever. Flames went in there. They win game one in overtime. Marcus Nilsson scores the overtime winner for, for the Flames. And Robin Regeer with an absolute laser from the point. And in game two, doesn't exactly go well. It wasn't, it was the kind of the Detroit Red Wings that we all knew at that point. And the Flames have lost 5 2 in that one. Flames come back, win game three. And in game four, they, they, they were down to nothing. They scored two goals in 18 seconds with Vili naming in and Marty Jelena getting on the board. And, but that's not the thing people remember for that game. Vili, in the last couple of minutes, or last minute or so in the third period, Vili Neiman goes towards Curtis Joseph, runs him down. <laughs> you want to talk about, you want to talk about characters from that run. Vili Neiman was a character in that run. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we unfortunately just got rid of uh, a character in David Riddick, but uh, you know, those guys just, they bring fun to the team no matter what, right? Like it doesn't even matter how they're playing. They just, they're funny guys. The guy that I think about as well, just if you're, you know, kind of like on ice performance, doesn't even matter. It's just an entertainment value in the player itself is uh, Ilya Brzgalov, right? How many memeable moments did, like, did that guy come up with, especially when he wasn't playing well, right? So, like, I, I what was it? The 2000, uh, it was Philly, New York, uh, Winter Classic. I forget what year it was. Was it 20? 2012 2012 and uh yeah. you know he knows he's getting benched in that so people are asking like oh like what do you like how are you going to prepare for the game and that sort of thing you know and he's like oh I'll probably bring my uh thermos and uh keep myself nice and cozy <laughs> <laughs> right so but those are you, you need those kind of guys on the team to you know keep the spirits up especially right so fyi Billy briscoe still gives me ptsd from that game seven uh two years after that run but we won't we won't get too much into that how bad that was so so then we go to game five the flames win one nothing on the craig conroy goal on a beautiful pass from jerome and then we go to game six i mean it's just going back and watching game six the other night like it was tight. Like that was a that was the Flames game. Like that was mostly a Flames game where they just played very very well down that game. Like you didn't like yeah, you saw some chances were in Detroit in that game, but you didn't see like Detroit being Detroit. Like you didn't see Detroit being themselves in that game. Yeah, it was Daryl Sutter hockey that uh you know, he's brought a variation of kind of a modernization of it to Calgary uh this year and you know, you scroll through Twitter on uh, checking out the other teams' uh, fans' feeds and that sort of thing. So, say, talking about Tuesday night's game against Toronto and Toronto fans, oh, like, how can you watch that hockey? It's so slow and everything like that, which I still don't quite understand. But, um, you know, maybe that's just because I'm looking at the Flames side of it, I guess, for those. They feel a bit more intense, I guess. But apparently to other teams, it just feels slow. And this is the same – this was that version, right? where the Flames just are able to control it because the other team is trying to go hard, 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 and the Flames are just being able to keep a steady pace with it, right? They're controlling the flow of the game at that point. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, of course, Mika's going to always bail us out like he did a lot of those times as well. Like, he didn't have a lot of great sometimes 
teams that could absolutely play well in front of him. Mm-hmm. So it was always Mika and the bailing them out every single time. And which which is something similar to what we have what we deal with now. But anyway. Um so then it's still nothing nothing. Just so many chances and te- a few close chances there and there. And then in the final minute of overtime, a chance in front. Iggy shoots the puck. Connie taps it. Jelly gets it. Empty net scores a goal. Flames win the series. Like I, I've heard a lot of stories from from Game Six against Detroit. You know, people just being there, and you know, even Connie just mentioned as well that after they had won Game Six, they thought that this is it. We're winning the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you think of the. That, that's the goal that comes to mind for me when I think of any of the Jelena game clincher or series clinchers, right? That's the one that always comes to mind. Um, it's back home in Medicine Hat at my parents' place, but I have a book that is dedicated to this run, and that goal is on the cover, I believe. Um, so, like, and so I'm sure it's not just for me that that's the iconic goal of that entire playoff run, right? So, like, not even just the series, of the entire 2004 playoffs. The puck's in the left corner of the Red Wings zone. The Flames have it. Conroy goes behind the net. He's wrapped up by Lang. The puck in the left corner for Aginla. Aginla to the left circle. Aginla shot. Joseph save. Rebound. He scores! Yeah, baby! Yeah, baby! Martin Gillespie scores! The Flames win it! one nothing. Yeah, baby! Yeah, it, it, it's. I don't think you're gonna get an argument for me on that at all. I think that for sure for me is the you know the goal that represents that magical spring. I mean, we can. I mean, we're gonna get into the San Jose series in a second here, but you know we can talk about the monitor goal in Game One against San Jose. We can talk about uh, um, about the goal in Game Seven against Vancouver. We could talk about uh, you know the shift, which we don't worry, folks. We will get to that. But, um, yeah, we can talk about a lot of great goals from that run, but I think that's the one that 100% stands out from a lot of the iconic goals in that hysteria in 2004. So we'll get now to the to the San Jose series. You talked about how the Detroit series was arguably one of the one, was probably the one that they wanted to kill each other. I felt it was the San Jose series underrated series like it was nasty it was aggressive there were so many checks and and of course i think and this story i've heard many many times but it was game three against the sharks at the saladome the flames were it was not a great game flames were up two nothing they were gonna lose that game um koryov goes and tries to score the empty net goal he scores the empty net goal it looks like he's showing off drone comes out of nowhere just absolutely just destroys him and then Simon goes after him and then it's a like it's it's chaos it's it's mayhem right and then for some random reason Chris Simon Chris Simon we want to talk about other characters from that run Nate that was one of them Chris Simon was and I felt I honestly feel Chris Simon was is probably one of the best deadline acquisitions that this franchise has ever made without a question he was an absolute key to that run but 
He ended up then grabbing Mike Rafty, by the way, poor Mike Rafty. <laughs> he just that guy didn't even know how to fight. <laughs> Simon just grabbed Simon just grabbed him. Simon just grabbed him, started just beating the snot out of him. It was not even a contest. Like Rafty was just trying to do whatever he could to cover up and Simon just <laughs> He just did what Chris Simon does, right? Oh. Yeah, I think the I think the difference for me with the two series, Detroit and San Jose, because I was saying how like the Detroit one, they wanted to kill each other. Right. I think it was just, it was a little bit of a different type of intensity. The game, like the the series against San Jose for both sides, it wasn't so much like, Oh, I want to, you know, strangle you. I want to beat you with my stick until you're, you know, a red stain on the ice. The difference with the San Jose Calgary series was both teams are thinking you are the last thing in my way to getting as close as I can to that Stanley Cup, right? So it's just a little bit of a different intensity, a different hatred going along with yeah, it. Yeah, well, and that's, that's probably the thing that I would keep arguing that that series was probably, I'd argue, still one of the nastiest because you just you just saw a lot of hatred in that series. Like you saw a lot of like, you know, scrums come nearly to blows and everything like that. But so the Flames go into game one against San Jose again as the underdogs for sure. Because San Jose was number two in the Western Conference in 03-04. They had uh, they had taken care of both St. Louis and the Tama Solani and Paul Correa Colorado Avalanche, which people forget about that one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's still just weird to me. <laughs> I see pictures of that just every now and yeah. then. No, it just 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 like, does, no. just just does no, not look no, right. That's that's too weird. No, thank you. <laughs> so then the Flames go into game 1 against San Jose. Game goes in overtime. Jerome Ginla comes up the slot, makes a pass. Monitor's just tapping, 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 tapping on the stick, gets the puck, shoots the puck. It goes in the Flames win game 1. And it's also cuz we had just talked about you know, about iconic goals in that run. Like, where would you put that goal, you know, you know, in that run? It's got to be at least in the top five, but I feel like one to three are taken by Jelly. (laughs) It's hard to deny that, I think. Oh, for sure. I I probably, here's the thing. I would put number three. I'd put it in the top three for sure because you just, it was such a great moment, like, like a guy that, you know, a guy that nobody knew about. He wasn't a superstar defenseman. I mean, he played a lot of minutes in that run, by the way. And by the way, rest in peace to to Steve Monitor. Um, you know, one of the one of the great guys in the league. You know, for a long time there. But um, you know, guy who was a, was like one of those pesky players who just you know kept grinding and battling out, and a guy you wouldn't really expect to score an overtime winner. Scored an OT winner and won the Flames that game. Uh, Flames win game two as well. Game three, uh, we just kind of talked about game three. The Flames lose game three and game four. And I, I think from what I know a little bit, there was a bit of nervousness after they had lost games three and four. Heading back to San Jose for game five. But then that was quickly silenced by game five. And in game six, they come back to the Dome, win game six. Continues in behind the flame. It's Korolev has it. Korolev with six seconds left. Passing in front. The pass doesn't work. It goes down the ice. Just to the empty net. A score! 
You can't put it in the wind column. The Flames are Western Conference champions. Yeah, baby! And then Peter Mar. Peter Mar always tells the story after game six about. I mean, this is the kind of guy Jerome really was, right? He had. He had finished a post-game show with Mr. The, one of the goats himself, Mr. Rob Kern, Mike Rogers. And and then he had seen in the rain Jerome still signing autographs after the game was done. That was the kind of guy he was. And, you know, then probably later on he must have gone out and celebrated with his teammates. Um, just before we get to the Tampa series, let's, let's talk a little bit about about you know just the red mile like from the stories that you've heard from 17th during that time like what's got to be one of your absolute favorites that you've heard from some people you've talked to over the years uh i mean most of the stories i've heard people are missing parts of it because they're just so smashed out of their mind (laughs) um i just remember those seeing it on the tv and because you know born and raised in medicine hat Kari's three hours away and um, just seven-year-old me was wanting to be in that crowd, right? And, uh, you know, as, you know, cameras are flying overhead and, you know, maybe get the, oh, there's there's me on the TV type deal, right? But, like, just wanting to be a part of that and, uh, you know, that was, that's still the thing for me, right? I've been to one, or I've been to one Flames playoff game, uh, which was game three, the 2015 season uh, versus Vancouver. Um, but, you know, I it wasn't quite at that point yet, so I really hope to be able to experience the Red Mile again uh, in some capacity here soon. Yeah, for me, um, like the Red Mile memory that really I have is from two years ago, game one against Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the good thing was it was a victory that night, but, like, it's... That's what you and I, as fans, have been waiting for for so many years now is that is that Red Mile moment where we're like, okay, we're partying on the Red Mile, all spring lawn, en route to the Stanley Cup final. Like, let's go. Like, we're still waiting for that moment. Like, I remember... Um, I remember my cousin was living right around there at that point and she remembers a lot of the stuff too from that time where they had seen a lot of people hang off the poles <laughs> and just partying out of their minds at melrose like like a lot of like i had shared the the story about um us driving through 17th after my mom's birthday at that point as well like it was ridiculous like the like the hysteria there as well on 17th and and you know the old Mel, the the one that used to be Melrose now, by the way, is now uh, the beer I'm actually drinking right here right now is uh, Trolley Five, is uh, Ernie, owned by Ernie uh, Sue. By the way, shout out to him. So a lot has definitely changed on on Seventeen since then, and stuff. So I mean, a lot of the stories I've heard, you know, about people just just going around like having a great time not writing, not making any public damages and all those things like just having fun. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it was different about that. So we'll get into the Tampa series as well. Uh, once again, 
another series where the Flames are not exactly favored to win. Just, just before, and, and, I'll, and I'll just quickly say this, before we get to Game 6 and 7, because, of course, there'll, there'll be some pain to talk about. Um, like, what were your impressions of that series as well, like, from a lot of the things you've heard about? Well, I mean, on paper, what the Stanley Cup Final is, is the best team from the West versus the best team in the East. And that's what that series was, right? Calgary may not have been ranked number one going into the playoffs, but, you know, they beat everybody to get there. They were the best team in the West. And Tampa had some great guys also. Um, you know, the big one that comes to mind, obviously, is goaltender Nikolai Habibulin. The guy gave me nightmares, and, you know, I was terrified when we went to uh, Edmonton just a few years later, right? I was like, I don't want to deal with this again. <laughs> but... uh yeah, it was just it was a best on best tournament or series basically. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um pr- pretty much the I think pretty much the same thing from from me, you know, in my regards to to the series again. I mean, it was a series of the Flames weren't exactly you know, favored in again and this was the Tampa Bay Lightning. They had Vinny LeCavalier and of course a guy who had just left the the, the organization just a few years prior, Marty St. Louis. Uh, Dave Anderchuk, they had Happy Bull in the net. Like, it was not going to be an easy series. Like, I also, I think, for what I know, people were saying Philadelphia would have been the better series, like, matchup wise, for mm-hmm. the Flames at that point. Because Tampa Bay, because this was just before the league was starting to transition into speed, skill, and moving away from toughness and all those kind of things at that point Tampa Bay was a very skilled team that year yeah for sure and I think Daryl Sutter was starting to implement that even in this uh this edition of the Calgary Flames right uh with some of the guys that he acquired and that as as much as they were tough it was a perfect balance I would say between the the toughness the physicality uh the big bodiedness compared to you know the skills the speed uh the stick handling all that kind of stuff yeah yeah, so we'll we'll quickly uh, go through game one here. Uh, Flames won game one. Jerome McGinley scored on a beautiful breakaway breakaway goal. Just uh, kind of missed the net by a bit and then was able to just bounce on that rebound and get it in. And also goals from, I think, Jelly scored that game as well. Um, and uh, Stefan Yell scored that game as well. Like you want to talk about people who grinded it out. Stefan Yell was is a is relatively a very underrated player from that run. Yeah, for sure. And you still see a jersey of him every now and then, and uh, that always that always brings a little bit of a smile to my face. So, by the way, Mike. By the way, uh, Mike T. Gold owns one. So, um, so yeah, another another shout out to Mike. <laughs> um, then game two, Tampa Bay comes back in and uh, wins four uh, nothing. It wasn't exactly a great game played relatively overall, uh, and oh, wasn't it or four one? That's what it was. Oh, it's four. Yeah. Oh, that's Calgary didn't get shut out. Right, I forgot. Was, I forgot. Uh, I was forgot. Games later, <laughs> and I forgot even didn't score that game. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then game three, the Flames did, in fact, shut out the Tampa Bay Lightning three nothing in game three. Goals from Chris Simon, uh, Donovan, Donovan, and then Iggy scored. I think his a. Eleventh of the of that of the run as well in in that series, so and then game four Tampa Bay wins 
relatively on the controversial penalty that was taken in the first period there. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that one led to, yeah, controversy, like you said. Daryl Sutter having some comments as well. Um, wasn't it f- right. also from that game that, I believe that ref, uh, I'm thinking it was a different series, but um, he didn't ref any other games until game seven. That was Fraser. That was Kerry Fraser, right? He yeah. had, uh, so what happened was with that, so he had made some pretty, let's say, Kerry Fraser-like calls that game, right? And that was also, by the way, Billy Neiman as well was at it again. He ran Vinny's head through the boards, <laughs> right? So, um, so then, yeah, what happened was, so Daryl had then made comments after game four suggesting that the league didn't want the Flames to win, right? Yeah, you know, you know, Daryl's going to always stir the about, pot. Sounds about par, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think then what happened was, Kerry, I think Fraser then had gotten threats or something like that from fans, and that and then that yeah, forced them to, like to take him out of two games. I think. Uh, I think what I have here is that he was just pulled from game six. Yes. Oh yeah, I'm, that's, right. To be that's doing, right. So, um, but yeah, you know, upsetting the team, upsetting local fans especially. Um, yeah, so he instead went on to officiate game seven. So. Um, and yeah, Sutter's rant and everything like that. And I know, you know, to be honest, I know we talked about Jerome McGinley's, you know, greatest game possibly against Vancouver in, in game seven, but he scored a goal in, in, earlier in that game as well. But do you think this was possibly Jerome McGinley's greatest shift of his career? It's arguably one of the greatest shifts in hockey, I would say. Um, I mean, there's a reason that it's called the shift, right? You search that up. Nobody else's, you know, nobody else's shift pops up. It's all Jerome again. So. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, where should we start in game six? <laughs> but hold that, but hold that, hold that thought, hold that thought. Um, So I had Josh Humphreys, by the way, uh, shout out to his podcast, Tales from the Sea, um, for Sea of Dead. Um, I had him on the other day as well, and uh, he got to talk a little bit about, um, you know, about because the story was from what he had told me, he had actually hitchhiked from school in Saskatchewan to come home for game six <laughs> if the Flames were going to win. So I'll play you the story um, that, that Josh shared with me the other day yesterday. Game six was going to be the Saturday night, so I called my dad up and I said, hey, I want to come home, you know, Flames have a chance to win. Can you send me, I think it was about 70 bucks for the Greyhound to come home. And I said, I would love to go home. I want to go down to the Red Mile. I want to be there if the Flames win the Cup. Right away, he said no. You know, being a parent, all he saw on 17th was the drinking and partying and me being 17. He's like, no, not a chance. Uh, Am I going to give you bus money to come down for that? So he kind of said no. So at first I was like, okay, well, I tried. Uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, But then... What happened is now this is probably about sorry, this is about Thursday night uh, now or sorry Friday. I'm thinking how can I get there? How can I do this? Uh, so I came up with kind of as a joke. I was like, I wonder if I can collect money from people like in the dorm, friends and stuff. Uh, and I had a cowboy hat that I had a Flames logo embroidered into it. 
So I kind of took that around. And as a joke, I was walking around the door being like, hey, does someone want to, you know, give me some money for this? And I ended up getting about 30, 35 bucks in. And again, I'm talking nickels, dimes, quarters, like, like just loose change. So it wasn't enough for the bus. But then as Friday kind of during the day and Thursday night, I guess a bit, I'm like, you know what? If I don't have money for the bus, I don't have a car, uh, I should get, what can I do? And I came up with the idea of like, what if I just hitchhiked? Because the school was right on the Trans-Canada Highway. Uh, so I said I could, and so I can go out to the highway just outside of Moose Jaw and I'll, I'll hitchhike. And everybody thought that was a crazy idea. And even me at first was like, you're not going to hitchhike. It's like, you don't, you don't, you know, you're, you're going to be too scared to do it kind of thing. Uh, so anyway, um, I go out now Friday afternoon comes. I'm starting to get pretty serious about this now. Uh, as I kind of mentioned in the, when I sent you that email, what was going on this weekend, you had to have your parents' permission to leave campus. Uh, so they knew where the kids were at all time. Right. So I would have had to have my parents call it and say, yeah, it's okay for Josh to leave, uh, in order to leave now. What worked in my advantage was it was grade 12 grad trip weekend. So they did a little camping trip every year for the for the people who are graduating. So that happened to be that weekend. So everybody was going on this camping trip. So I thought about like, now, how could I pull this off? So what I did is told my parents and I told my, uh, the dean, I guess, of in the RAs, their resident assistants in the dorm that I'm going on the camping trip. So they're not expecting me to be on campus this weekend. I go now to the teachers and the chaperones of the camping trip, but I say, no, I'm just going to stay behind. I want to watch the Flames game uh, in the dorms and stuff, so I won't be on the camping trip. So they're not expecting me. So both parties aren't expecting me to be there. So uh, so Friday after class, it's about 3.30, 4 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this. I get a piece of cardboard. I, I write out game six in Sharpie, you know, block letters. I get my Flames jersey on, and I'm ready to go. Uh, you know, I wait for everybody on the camping trip to leave and I'm like, this is great. I, I'm going to start, I'm going to actually do this. And it's still everybody, you know, was like, no, you're not going to do this. Like you're going to chicken out. There's no way you're going to pull this off. So I said, okay, watch. So now I'm like, I got to do it because everyone's calling me out. Right. I've already talked this big game about what I'm going to do and I don't have a choice. I got to follow through. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, and now I guess it's getting about five, six, seven o'clock. I can't, it was early in the evening. The sun hadn't gone down yet. And I said, now's the time. Let's go. I sneak away. I start walking towards, uh, towards the highway. There's a Petro Canada and a restaurant and a subway kind of on the highway there. So I'm there and I'm ready to go. And just as I'm about to get out to the highway, I see a buddy of mine come running behind me. And now he's got a flame jersey on. <laughs> and I go, oh, well, like, what's this? And I'm like, hey, what's happening here? And he says, if a buddy goes, I can't let you do this alone. Like, if you're actually going to do this, I got to come with you. I got to make sure you don't get killed kind of thing, right? <laughs> so he uh, he comes with me. We end up going. Uh, and we walk about a kilometer, you know, kilometer and a half down the highway, which probably took us 10, 15, 20 minutes. Seemed like we were out there for hours. Starting to get a little darker. Uh, cars are driving by honking because, you know, this is... Flames are in the finals. The first time a Canadian team's been in there forever, right? Since '94 in the Canucks. So everybody in the country had Flames fever. We had the the red jersey on with the black C, and people are honking, and we're kind of like, God, like stop honking, like pick us up <laughs> or something. And uh, so basically, a semi truck goes by. He kind of pulls down on his horn and does the big thing, and we're like, yeah, you know, gotta give him a wave. And we're like, oh, that would have been nice if he would have stopped. He gets up the highway, and we're in Saskatchewan, as flat as can be. You can see way up there. We see him kind of hit his brakes, 
and go across the middle ditch there and come back the other way. And we're like, well, that's kind of weird. And he honks his horn again at us. And we're like, okay, like, is this guy actually coming back to get us or what's happening? And then, it's just, of course, we see him turn the other way and he comes up and he goes by us just like going a few hundred feet and pulls off. And Buddy and I, my buddy, my friend and I go, oh boy, like it's real now. <laughs> like it's, uh, we've, we're at the point of no return. Uh, we got to do this now. So we jump into the, into this guy. He comes out. He's a about 50 some year old man. A really, really nice guy. He grabs my bag, which has, you know, a toothbrush and a shirt. So like I, I couldn't even remember some deodorant, just nothing. And of course my nickels and dimes have changed that I never gave back to everybody. I thought I'd just keep it. So he takes it. He says, I'm going to put it in the far back because I got, you know, whatever safety. He didn't, he didn't know who we were kind of thing. So he puts it in the back. My buddy and I jump in the front, start driving. And he goes, I'm actually headed straight to Calgary. I can take you all the way there. And I said, well, that's awesome. Like, because in my mind, I'm like, I don't know how many trips I'm going to be or when we're going to get to Calgary. Are we going to get in time for the game tomorrow? But he says, yeah, I'll take you right there. So really nice guy. We talked for the whole trip kind of. He has, you know, the semi-truck had that bed uh, kind of thing in there and we took turns and said, yeah if you guys want to get some rest go ahead get some rest uh, feel free uh, so I remember my buddy sleeping back there I talked to him for a while I fell asleep woke up in Calgary he dropped his trailer at a truck stop and at this point my plan was well we'll go to my sister's house because I don't want my parents to know I'm here and she lived in I think it was Mackenzie or Copperfield or somewhere in that area in the southeast so he drops his trailer actually drives us right to her front door with you know the front end of his semi which is kind of crazy to think he right through the community puts it to the front door we get there we you know we get inside she left the door open we slept on the couch for a couple hours we woke up on saturday morning and him and i were just kind of in disbelief we're like i can't believe we made it like that actually worked like we're here in calgary flames are played for the cup tonight like this is unreal uh but of course now the next thing is we're 17 we're not going to any bar not that we could have at this point anyways i mean uh, at that time, like they were lining up nights before to get into a, a pub or a bar to go watch the Flames, and it was wild. So we go, what are we going to do? We, we figure, we're trying to figure out a plan, but I kind of wanted to just see the city. You know, I grew up in Calgary, born and raised, but never had the Flames been past the first round, you know, I mean, since I was old enough to know anything or, you know, since the 89. And, of course, I was only three, so I don't remember anything of that. So we go to get in the car we kind of go i think we went to south center mall at the time to check it out we drove around and uh it was just insane i, I you can't even describe the city i'm talking 90 to 95 percent of the cars had those car flags you know and people were just driving around mcleod trail i remember and this was noon and they're just honking horns and everybody's hooting and hollering and it, it was just unbelievable it gives me goosebumps now to think of it uh, and I remember driving and I said, well, I kind of want to go down, just drive by the dome and drive by 17 to kind of see, because I hadn't seen it all at all during the playoff run. And we came over the hill where the cemetery is, which you're coming on McLeod, and then you go down into downtown. We get to the hill and, and I was pretty sure, and I'm pretty confident, but they had the tower lit up that, lit, that day too. Like, so the flames, you know, coming out of the Calgary tower and they had it all day and we come across and there's the big flagpole at Stampede's got a huge flames flag rather than a Canada flag. And it was unbelievable. We drive by the dome just to kind of experience and see, and we're jerseys everywhere. Everybody has that Jersey on. I mean, that Jersey, when it came out that season too, the red one, so popular. So everybody's wearing jerseys. We drive down 17th and we look at the bars and Melrose at the play at the time it was there. 
people, they had TVs on their sidewalk. So people were kind of sitting out on the sidewalk. We're like, oh, that'd be a good idea to go watch the game there. But we drive by at noon and like, it's full of people already. Like there's no chance we're going to get anywhere near the TV, anywhere on 17th. Uh, so anyways, we the day goes on and we just kind of drive around the city. My sister went and actually bought us a case of beer with our $30 of change that we had. She said, you know, like, cause we weren't going to use it, anything else. So we're like, let's just have a few beers, you know, yes, we're underage, whatever uh, <laughs> we go down. Uh, so we get back to my sister's house and she goes, she's going to go over to my parents and watch the game. And we're going to stay at her house. Cause at this time, my parents have no idea I'm in town. Uh, so, you know, we sit there, we have our drinks. The afternoon goes on. I think the game was, I want to say it was a six o'clock start or something because it was the finals and for the Eastern Conference or the Eastern teams, they wanted to start a little early. So I think it was a six o'clock start. So we're sitting and watching the game about five o'clock. We're really getting excited. I'm just in like, I'm in heaven. Like this is the Flames, a chance to win the Stanley Cup. They're up three, two, you know, experience the city all day. I'm pumped. Sister takes off. Buddy and I are just watching the game about, must have been about 5.30. Now, we're watching the pregame. And, and then, of course, it's the Stanley Cup final. So, a CBC at the time, it was ABC and ESPN in the States. They're all here. All the big names are here. The Barry Melrose, they're doing their live broadcast from outside the dome. Like, this is, you know, I've watched this other teams every year, you know, in the States. Or you've watched Toronto a little bit, kind of making it to the East finals. or a little bit deeper into the playoffs. But never the Flames. Like, this is unbelievable. This is the Flames. And we go on now to, yeah, 5.30 so comes. We're watching the game. I'm sitting on the couch like this, and I'm sitting there watching, and I could just hear, like, this boom, 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 bang on the door. And I go, oh, crap. I kind of get a little scared, and I sit down on the couch. I'm like, I don't know who it is at first. I'm like, I don't want – like, it's my sister's house. I don't know who's here. I don't want to answer the door. So I, like – I think I remember, like, turning the TV off and, like, sinking in the couch to be like, I don't want them to see us from the window or something. <laughs> uh and i'm like maybe they'll, they'll just go away whoever it is and then you know no another big boom 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 and then it's a voice we know you're in there <laughs> and i'm like oh shit. I'm like my sister went to my parents house and ratted me out that i was here <laughs> uh and it was ended up being my brother my older brother there so he comes in like opens the door we open the door for him and he's like get in the truck i'm like oh, i don't want to go like my parents lived on an acreage at the time just by spruce meadows and i'm like i don't want to go there i want to stay in the city and watch the game and he's like no no and i'm like well my uh, and i told him like my parents don't know i'm here he's like yeah they know you're here now like your sister already told everyone you're here <laughs> so i'm like oh shit this kind of sucks <laughs> so I, we reluctantly get in his truck and go to my parents and they're having a party right because you know my dad is a huge flames fan as well he's born and raised calgary so he's got some friends over uh, and they had a big, they ordered a bunch of pizza and food and stuff. So it was kind of nice. We got there and we actually got to eat. Uh, you know, I think my parents were, were pretty upset, but they had like all their friends over. So they didn't want to <laughs> say anything to me in front of all of them uh, or give give that kind of reaction. So they just kind of said, oh, that's whatever. Right. Uh, and then I remember watching the period. I think the Flames went down. They tied it. They went down. They tied it. It was 2-2. Uh, and after the second period, I remember my dad was, you know, what do we, what am I going to do? He's like, now what? Like, how are you going to get back to school for Monday? Like, how are you going to pull this off? And I said, well, and I never just been like, well, uh, one of our coaches from hockey or something's in town. He was in town. So we're just going to hitch a ride with him. So he was okay with that. And he's happy. Uh, and then my brother, who I was going to go hang out with for that night and go down to 17th with was like, well, if you're going to go down to the red mile tonight, you got to come with me now. He was going to go to the bull and finch. 
which was in Broadwood at the time. He's going to say, I'm going to watch the third period there in overtime. And I said, okay. But 17, we get to the Bull and Finch. And of course, as every bar in the city was, not a seat. It's packed. People everywhere. So we're like, well, we can't. And, and I'm scared to go in because I'm 17. I'm like, I don't want to get ID'd. I'm like, you know, this would have been my first time going to a bar underage. So I'm like, I can't go in there. I'm freaking out. So my, my friend and I sit in his truck and listen to the third period on the radio. Then overtime comes and my brother convinced us. He's like, well, just come inside. Like, no one's going to ID you. Like, and he's right. Like, at this point in time, overtime of this game six, no bartender or bouncer. I don't even think they were serving drinks. Nobody was, everybody was in just frozen, right? Standing still watching the TVs. So we go in, we sneak in. We kind of like around the hall, like middle of the bar, like crouched down on the side of a table because there's nowhere to sit. We're like almost on the floor, not trying to block anyone's view. Uh, of course, first overtime ends. And then, of course, we know what happens right away in second overtime, like devastation with uh, the Marty San Luis goal. Uh, so everybody was kind of just was pretty shocked at the time everybody was like pretty upset that was josh humphreys um joining me yesterday and uh by the way a big shout out to josh and thanks for for doing that uh, little uh thing yesterday with me um so like i had said prior to um you know playing the clip there where would you like to start with game six (laughs) I think really the only thing that comes to mind is, of course, the the goal, right? Or what wasn't deemed a goal because of the uh, the it's called the parallax view. Um, it uh, you know it came back to haunt us again in 2015 against uh, Anaheim in the second round as well. Um, you know I understand the science behind it and everything like that, but and you know as much as the evidence is there, it's still fun just to you know, keep on that train of it was in. So, I mean, like, you know, it's it's kind of a, oh, what if scenario if, uh, you know, today's technology or even technology from a couple years ago was in the NHL at the time, right? At least an overhead camera would have been able to show it, right? But that just, that wasn't a thing yet, so. There's a reason why I'm repping uh, CF Dead shirt for this one, because <laughs> yes, I, I don't care what anybody says about the parallax angles, all those things. That puck was in, and they knew it. That goal, the thing that... Uh, I think the one thing that still stings the most is they didn't review it. Like, they didn't... The refs didn't go up to Toronto that... They didn't go yeah, to that right away. Thing. Like, because... Because I, I think... There was a thing, there's even, I think it's still a thing now where, like, once the puck is dropped after that certain shift of a certain replay, that cannot be reviewed then. The refs then cannot go up to Toronto and do that. So, and even Jelly's told the story before where he said, you know, look, he said that, like, looking back at it, he probably should have raised his arms in the air. Right, that's the thing that he felt still to this day that he should have done, and and the biggest kick in the gut, I think that we could get, is a guy who left the organization a couple years prior, scoring the OT winner. That had to have been. Ugh, it's still to this day a kick in the gut. It still feels infuriating to this to this day and it's just and then game seven you know 
I, I don't know how much we can talk more about Game 7. Have you watched Game 7? Uh, I mean, I watched kind of like the highlight package just to refresh on this, but honestly, I think the last time I watched Game 7 was when it was happening otherwise. So that's uh, like besides the, you know, the cup raising, um, which this playoff also started that for me as well. Like as much as it got me really into hockey itself um, to kind of add on to it, I have not missed a single Stanley Cup raising live since 2004. Wow. I have seen, I've made sure I tune in for every game to watch that. So that's kind of my, my streak I'm on. So, but yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it just dev just devastation, man. I mean, you know, Tampa Bay goes up to nothing. Uh, Finatenko, I mean, the the that two goals still. I've only watched Game Seven one time, and it was really, I think, basically some like you had mentioned the highlight package, and yeah. that was really it. And besides Andrzejczyk, really, besides Andrzejczyk, really raising the cup, right on certain like Stanley Cup playoff intros and highlights, you know, yada yada yada. I've only watched Game 7 once. I've only watched Game 7 once, and I refuse to watch Game 7 ever again. And this was, like, probably, what, maybe, like, let's see, I started loving this team at 7. Um, let's see, September. Yeah, probably right around right around there, probably, is the only time I've ever watched Game 7 going back. So Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, in a very young life at the time, that was really the first feeling of, loss i guess in a way for uh for myself right so and like i god we were like i was with family watching that game i'm pretty sure we were at my great grandmother's house in her basement actually watching that on uh the old boom tube and uh just yeah just everybody like we had oilers fans in the family and everything like that and even they were devastated right just at the the loss because um, you know, as like especially for the like Oilers, right? It's the Battle of Alberta and everything like that, but they were behind Calgary, right, to win that cup and just all of Canada was devastated. I think the only time that Canada's really sports wise has come together in that same type of fashion would have been a couple of years ago with the Toronto Raptors and the NBA and their run for their championship. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that and then this run, I think are really when you look at the only two times where, um, you know, a Canadian really uh, the country has come together in that capacity for just, just, you know, to, because, you know, the thing is, is, I mean, it's a sad, you know, sort of state of affairs that we live in now. But, you know, even back in 04, like nobody cared, like nobody cared about you know, um, no, like nobody really cared what political affiliation you were at that point. Nobody cared, you know, this and that. I mean, people just wanted to just have a great time, watch this team, try and win, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's the thing that really, really hurts about, you know, 04 too. And, you know, thinking, thinking back to that as well, um, you know, and again, Conroy has said this a lot on a lot of occasions, but that run hurt for a lot of reasons because the fact that that team 
the lockout happens then after that and that team just never never comes back and doesn't have a chance to really doesn't really have a chance to you know try and get back there and you know it's funny because as kids right we, we think jerome is some is maybe going to win the stanley cup here at one point or another it, it just it doesn't they don't get back as close to that point it's that that's what makes it hard i mean that's what makes it hard and, and just painful even all these years later yeah and i mean as much as i'm not a boston fan you know, you were kind of hoping that he would be able to do it a few years down the line, even when he went to Pittsburgh, right? Unfortunately, he just picked the the wrong team out of the two of those and um, just unfortunately never really worked out for him. So that's, yeah. Well, we were all we were all cheering for Pittsburgh and Boston those two yeah. years for sure. And it was really weird for me to cheer for Boston. So as much as, uh, like, there's kind of like only two ties for me for Boston. Otherwise, I could care less about them. So, like... To, to show you how much I don't really care about Boston, Brad Marchant crying after the 2018 or yeah 2018 uh, Stanley Cup there, uh, him crying was my wallpaper for about a week on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a beautiful moment uh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's just uh, that's just a thing and. Like I had just mentioned, you know, it's like nobody cared. Like nobody cared at that point what political affiliation you were with and nobody cared who you were, all those things. Like everybody just was just high five and having a great time. And even Josh mentioned on it as well. Like he remembers going down the 17th after game seven. Like it was just like sadness in the city at that point. But it's just but it, really quiet. Really quiet, but like people were just like, ah, you know what? It, it it's so crushing that we were this close, but it was a wild ride. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, it just became you know just appreciate the experience and the fun times that you had and everything with it. And yeah. I mean, we may not have won, but Calgary fans remember this run as though we won right just so many memories coming from it and everything like that the only sour part to this run is that we lost right so yeah and the fact that on the fact that a, a goal that probably would have counted in today's nhl in game six in in the saddle dome for a chance to win the stanley cup on home ice and it just and for that's the thing that's still very very crushing even all these years later, 17 years later, I just think the thing really for me, just before we wrap up, uh, it's the same thing as you just said. Like it, it gave birth at that point to you, to me, to a lot of other people around their age groups in the city. It gave birth to a whole new generation of fans in the city. And that's why I think a lot of us, you know, talk about 2004 on such a occasional basis is because of the fact that even if we couldn't have a great perspective or memory of that, we just know that the mystique of that still lives on all these years later. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like you were saying, you know, we have a few different memories from it. Um, you don't, you said you don't remember a whole lot or very little of anything right because you were four years old but 
you know, I was seven, about to turn eight, I think. No, no, I know I was seven years old. Um, so like, I do have recollections of that. I remember, um, you know, I said my, my stepdad was the flames fan and was the one who was watching consistently, but my mom and my dad were heavily watching the first round against Vancouver because again, I'm from medicine hat. Uh, Trevor Linden is from medicine hat. My mom and dad grew up with Trevor Linden, Trevor and my dad actually lived a few uh, blocks from each other. They were friends growing up and everything like that. Um, and, uh, so, you know, they were heavily watching for that. I did get to meet Trevor a few years ago. Uh, my first impression, he's a lot taller in person than I thought he was going to be. Honestly, like, uh, I met him at the, the old medicine hat arena and I think I was standing two steps above him in the stands and he was still taller than me. And so I was just like, hmm, all right, it's cool. But, uh, yeah, so, like, you know, I remember that and, you know, watching in part for Trevor Linden on the Vancouver side. Um, after that, it was watching with my stepdad and just having the fun with it. I remember watching that uh, series clinching goal, Jelena and uh, Detroit there. I remember finish, like, I remember the end of uh, the third round and just everybody going off and Sutter going through the San Jose Sharks basically before anybody else could because he had you know, he was just there a few years ago and everything like that. And, and I remember the, just the heartbreak of everyone around me after losing that game seven. So. And the thing that people, you know, still, it, this is still burned a lot is the fact that it, it took a long road for the flames to get to this point. It really did. Mm -hmm. And, there are a lot of hard years, you know, before 2004. And it really just, what it did was it elevated this franchise. It elevated this franchise to a completely different level than it ever did in the 80s. Like, it, it really did. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, the one thing that, um, I forget who alluded, it, alluded to it earlier, but those the new at the time red jerseys with the black C, right? Those became iconic almost instantly. And like it was to the point that I forget, was it Coho or CCM who produced it at the time? They had to it was stop, CCM. CCM, yeah. They had to stop producing teams like Toronto, like a lot of the bigger names, in order to keep up with the demand That's of right. this red yes. jersey with the black C, which is just unbelievable and that's you know that black sea with the flames returning to the retro jersey now right that's always going to have a place in the stands whether there's a new version made it sounds like there might be uh, a version another version made for next year or that sort of thing right and but that version whether it's the 04 that's hanging behind you whether it's the flags just that black sea itself kind of defines almost two eras for the Calgary Flames, I think. And that's never going to leave the Sea of Red. Uh, so you'll just have a mix of Black Seas and White Seas in there. So, Did you also know, though, that the Flames that year outsold the New York Yankees, LA Lakers, and Chicago Bears? And those kind of franchises? Yeah, I do remember hearing that. So, yeah, it was like the, to it was like the top sports item sold right. in, uh, in 2004, so... 
in all of North America, I think, from yeah. what I've read. Just absolutely ridiculous. Now, let me ask you this. Um, now, let me ask you this just before we start to wrap up. Where, where for you does the O4s rank among the best jerseys in franchise history? Oh, among the best jerseys. Oof. I got to say it's second because I'm such a retro fan. Um, you know, the, yeah, there's the, there's the nostalgia for sure. And, you know, growing up with that style and everything like that, uh, the retros take it for me though, uh, just because of the simplicity and just the classiness of them. But those, uh, those 04 jerseys are not far behind. Like it's, it's a lot closer than just first and second. If there's like a, if you can do a 1.5, that's where the 04s land for me. So uh yeah like i i have one in my closet as well that i was so happy when i was able to get my hands on one and everything like that because uh it's a lot easier to get one in calgary obviously and it's only a couple hour drive for me but uh able to get one here in lethbridge was uh was something else so like blasty is always going to be the best for me like 100 Mm percent but but it's like you also had alluded to just now the O4s, the both of them, by the way, the red and the white, very, mm. very, very, very close second to Blasty, a hundred percent. And again, it's it comes down to, you know, of course, the childhood nostalgia, um, you know, just the Chevron stripes just kill. They just kill. And bringing back Blasty, what it also proved is the Chevron stripes work on adidas it works and i will still never understand why they left these jerseys for the flags (laughs) i will never understand that good old uh reebok at the time and innovation and you know moving forward and whatnot leave traditionalism in the past and but uh something i've kind of said with a few jerseys that have been coming out over the last little while and i even touched on it on uh on aesthetics there a few months ago retro it's a it's it kind of clashes this saying but retro is always in fashion right and you know hockey as much as in different ways we are moving forward right such as you know showing players personalities and everything like that there are some traditional elements that just they stick around not because they're forced to stick around but just because they work right and that is especially true, I think, on the jerseys themselves. You can definitely have modern influences in them, but traditional hockey jerseys just always look great. You said it well, my friend. Um, yes, it, it, if, by the way, if Ryan Popovich or Brent Gibbs are listening, please, 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 please bring back an 04 fourth. That would be so fantastic. I think it would look really good. I, and let me ask you this one quick one here. Um, if they were to bring back an 04 red and Adidas, would you like to see it stay the same as the original, or would you like it to get a little bit of tweaking, just like uh, Blasty? I'd like to see it stay the same, honestly, and I think it's because I think it, in that capacity it would be used, and what it sounds like from uh, just hearing things that Popovich had said, um, it sounds like that would be their third jersey, right? That you know they always want to keep the black C as part of the Flames jersey, or as far as far as the Flames look. Um, and I think it's kind of the perfect, especially if they want to, because he talked about the idea of 
you know, blasty weeks or that sort of thing, right? Still being able to keep this jersey around. And it kind of makes me wonder as well if, you know, if it's... Because the reverse retro is supposed to just be the one-time thing. Do we get a modification to this version that has the full red uh, in it instead of just the two stripes, right? Might see a return of it in that form as well. There might be two different versions of of Blastion Adidas templates. Uh, but I think having the 04 jersey just transferred onto an Adidas template, um, you know, obviously it's going to be a little bit different just with the way that Adidas styles the lacing on the collar and that sort of thing. But it's the perfect midway point between the retro now home and away look and going to Blasty because, you know, it's, I mean, chronologically it works as well, right? Even though I guess Blasty came first. Okay, maybe not. Subtract that. Uh, but, you know, it's, you have the transfer of the white C into black and kind of the different striping with it. But that's where you have Blasty on the shoulders, right? That's just kind of your allusion to it. And then you can bring the Blasty jersey in on your Blasty Weeks as a fourth, right? Just as kind of a special a special night type jersey. So I would like to see it just left the way it is. So if I guess if, if there is a modification, Blasty just might get taken off the shoulders depending on the future of the Blasty jersey itself. Uh, but if that jersey sticks around, I'd like to see the shoulder patches remain. I know from what I've heard, um, I know from what I've heard, um, you know, they, they want to keep Blasty in the marketing, in the marketing department for sure. Like that's exactly from what I've heard that they want to do. So whether it be bringing back the old force, sticking Blast, keeping Blasty in the shoulders or going back to Blasty as a fourth or even a third jersey for, you know, for, for that kind of thing, we'll just have to wait and see. Any final thoughts here, you know, about just this magical spring as we approach, you know, a couple of on this days in Flames history with these some of these significant moments. It was a lot of fun to go back through these games and just, you know, have old memories pop up of, you know, watching the games or, you know, things that happened in the games and that sort of thing. It was a, it was a nice trip down memory lane for sure, so. Couldn't have said it better, but um, same for me. I, I mean, I always love going back and reliving that magical spring that was 2004 you know whether it be from commie's hair to the red mile to the shift to jelly's goals etc etc to even it was in it was uh it was like you said it was a wild time in the city and it has not been the same ever since then and you know we hope it gets back to you know to sort of that you know level again but we'll just have to wait and see how maybe this rendition of the calgary flames ends up panning out Nate, this has been a lot of fun, buddy. Episode 19 of the Blasty Cast with myself, Noah Adler, and Nate Thomas as we talk about 2004. Nate, thank you very much, bud. We'll talk to you on episode number 20, sir. Sounds good. We'll see you then. And that will wrap us up for our 2004 special, episode number 19. I hope you all love it, and I hope you all have a Blasty day. And you can find me in the chilling with Jerome. Got my eye on the cup, baby. We gon' bring it home. Seeds flaming on my chest, so you know that it's on. What I tell you about the West, kid, the cup is coming home. And you can find me in the dome, chilling with Jerome. Got my eye on the cup, baby. We gon' bring it home. Seeds flaming on my chest, so you know that it's on. What I tell you about the West, kid, the cup is coming home.